Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Goop Fellas. How the heck are you, Seamus? Man, you know what? My my arms are peeling because I got a little bit of a sunburn and um, <laughs> I I always tell people I think I get tan. They're like, no, your freckles are just melting into each other. <laughs> But like, what's the deal? Should I be scared? I feel like I should get some vitamin D, but then everyone tells me that I should worry about, you know, dying from skin cancer. What's balance, right? We all have different skin tones and to tolerance and get your vitamin D checked and you can always supplement too as well. Okay. So you're saying supplement and don't, and be scared of the sun? No, be be out in the sun, but you don't want to burn. Burning's not good for anybody. No, burning's not good. Yeah. Anyway. What about you? Do you burn or you, uh, you're kind of pale. No, yeah, I'm not that pale. <laughs> people think I'm, people think I'm like a Middle Eastern or like Latin, Latino, but oh, really? I'm, I'm not, no. Huh. Uh, but anyways. Cool, that sounds Spanish. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So we had an awesome conversation, didn't we, with Miss Kelly Rutherford? Wow. I mean, talk about something that I cannot relate to at all. This like notion of having what is absolutely most dear to you in the world ripped away. Yeah. Um, I just like, I was floored. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, it, it is. It's so true. And when you look at somebody in, in the, you know, tabloids or on TV, you think they have it all, but really, I mean, the only things she really wanted in this world were taken from her in a really messed up way, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and the, and the fact of just going through this really public, bitter and extreme situation yeah. of not being able to be with your kids uh is really a heartbreaking story but just seeing her grace through all this and the lessons she learned when you talk about our country and the amount of mm-hmm. of blended families and divorces that are going on today to to hear somebody with such a big example of what she learned through that i think is i'm really excited for people to hear this conversation yeah. i mean kelly most people know kelly rutherford from as her roles on melrose place and generations or gossip girl but this whole tumultuous divorce and custody battle, which played out in public, I think that we kind of only got to see, obviously, you only see part of what the story is. But the, you know, you really said it, that her grace through all of this and how now with reflection, she's um, come to a place of, of peace and, and, and resolution, I think was really, was really impressive. And it very, you know, it reminded me a lot of the conversation that we had with Keith Mitchell and this, the idea of being present and of being in the moment and mind being mindful. It, it just really, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a recurring theme that people who go through these in, incredibly life-changing, life-altering accidents or, or things that are beyond their own control, the ones that are able to turn that into their in, into into their real purpose have a sense of grace and mindfulness, and I, you know I'm I'm really excited to share this conversation with Kelly. Yeah. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Kelly Rutherford. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. We're glad to have you here. If you can just for those of you that don't, those of us that are not super familiar with your story, if you can just kind of run us through what the past ten years have been like for you, because you've gone through something that I think is. Um, as I was reading about your story, I just, I mean, something that's totally unfathomable to me, something I can't mm. believe. So if you could just jump in and tell us why you're here. Um, well, I mean, I went through a divorce, which a lot of people go through. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a series of events that were just kind of unpredictable and unexpected. And, and um, you know, I think people... Going through a divorce, obviously, have certain feelings, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you you hope for the best, and you hope everyone takes the high road and thinks of the kids and and all of that. But 
you learn that not everyone thinks like you do in life, and that's mm-hmm. a huge lesson. Um, and, you know, we don't all approach things in the same way. And, and um, so I, I sort of went into it quite naive, I think, you know, thinking, oh, well, this should be this will be sorted very easily. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not asking for full cut. You know, all these things. And I thought, okay, how do I make this as simple as possible? And what I got into was probably one of the most complicated mm-hmm. things I'd ever experienced. So, um, yeah, it was it was really challenging. And I think a lot of a lot of it was just feeling so out of control of you know being able to protect your children or you know wanting them to be okay through everything when you're dealing with you know, stuff you couldn't control, whether it's the court's decisions or your, you know, your partner, your ex, you know, whatever is just, you know, the way they're being and or their choice on how to go through it. Um, Can you go into detail about the yeah. international custody and for people that don't know, like, what were the details of this? Oh, well, um, well, I went, I filed for divorce and um, my you, husband... You were, you were pregnant when you were filing for divorce, right? Yes, I was four months pregnant and I had a little boy that was two. And so I filed for divorce, and I um, I asked for no child support and and just not full custody. I said whatever's appropriate for the given ages or situation mm-hmm. because, you know, I was working at the time, so I had enough money, and I I didn't want to ask him for money. I knew he would probably never offer it up anyway, so I just thought, well, you know, you'll figure it out. It'll be fine, and um, that the court would also help with that. You know, I thought, okay, this is what the court's there for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. I'd never been to court. I'd never had a lawyer, you know, other than maybe look at a contract for a series or something. So it was it was a very big learning experience. But what ended up happening is, you know, a lot of things were said that weren't true. And I went in very on the defensive. So I could never sort of catch up with what was being said. And there's all sorts of things in court now that you can use against each other that line up a whole nother set of events. And then you realize that, anyway, my kids were sent to a foreign country by a judge temporarily, and they ended up staying there because the court there said, well, they've been here for two years. They're now residents of Monaco, you know, this place. And at that point, I was bankrupt because I had spent almost $3 million in legal fees and, you know, fighting for my kids. And it was like... um and not, you know, and just the emotional side of it. I mean, forget the money. I mean, you know, it was just having your child pulled off of you screaming, save me, mama, save me, and watching the other parent walk away like as if they weren't crying and having a meltdown. And you're pregnant and you're like, is everyone crazy here? And then the evaluator just basically saying, well, you know, you need to just walk away. You can't just stand there. You know, and you're like, well, but my child crying. <laughs> Isn't anyone seeing what's going on here? This is traumatic. This is going to affect these children the rest of their lives. And so, and then one of the evaluators now has been taken off of being able to evaluate because they found out that he was being paid off. And, you know, you realize that the courts, you know, they need to really, it's like there needs to be a Me Too movement or whatever movement um, in in the courts because it's it's a real money-making place, you know. I mean, the lawyers ask you immediately how much money you have and your assets, and you proceed to lose them all. Um, and I'm not saying that it's all their fault or all our fault or whatever. You know, you're silly to even walk into a courtroom unless you have to because then you're giving everyone control over what, you know, is done. 
But um, so there were a lot of, you know, funny things that I didn't expect. And it was, you know, very difficult on my kids. Uh, That was the toughest part of it was just watching them go through something that was totally unnecessary because their father has money. I was working enough to support myself as an actress. And we would have, it would have been very simple. Mm -hmm. So it was in, and just all the sort of things that happened. And through it, you know, I realized that other people were going through what I was going through and worse. You mm-hmm. know, there was abuse. There were things that were happening in the courts that were very just unbelievable. And um, so, you know, it was my first sort of like, whoa, this happens in the world. I had no idea that this could happen, you know. Um, you know, and, and trying not to blame anyone being the fault. I mean, you know, maybe the system just needs to be updated or maybe Mike is just angry now and maybe mm-hmm. he'll calm down and maybe you know you're trying to and none of it makes sense because there's no common sense at all in it like the common sense would be okay you have two kids you know you have two parents here and let's work it out yeah let's let's work it out so you know it's um were there any in your marriage were there any red flags that you thought that you saw hey this this could happen or was it out of the blue Oh, there were red flags. There were for sure red flags. We weren't even together that long. You know, it was mm-hmm. like maybe two years, two and a half years and um, total. And um, there were, but you know, you know, I think in the beginning, I think this happens to a lot of women where you're just ready. You just want to have your babies. You know, today there's much more alternatives in terms of we're much more open-minded about saying, well, you don't have to get married to have a baby. And you can, there's many ways to have mm-hmm. a child these days. But I was sort of traditional in the idea, and um, I was very charmed. You know, I think a certain type of person, um, and I think also I was just ready. You know, and and in the beginning, things are what they are. You don't you don't assume, and you think, okay, what's the worst? The worst is we get a divorce, and we go to court, and the court will be fair. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, so you're you know in your mind because if you've never experienced some other thing, if you've known fairness in your life, and you know, I grew up being an actress from the time I was, what, 17, 18 years old. So I had seen sort of, you know, people act all sorts of ways, but never like this. It was never like, you know. So was it was it a switch where you, when you told your ex-husband that you wanted to file for divorce and you were pregnant, you were two months pregnant, mm-hmm. was it a moment where he, it, it just suddenly became acrimonious and he just turned off and was like, okay, if you're doing this, I'm out of here. Yeah, he said, I'm going to take you down and see that you have nothing. Oh, my God. So it was like, but, you know, he's, this is what he does for a living. He's very uh. litigious and does, you know, does, he was suing Google. He was suing, he sued the German Post. It was, you know, for him, nothing. Because, right. and, um, and I think there's a certain type of personality that just, if you're not on their team, you're the enemy. Right. And it doesn't matter whether you're a pregnant woman or not, or whether you're saying, you know, well, there are reasons that this is, we're not together anymore. You know, there are events that are occurring here that are, you know, um, that need to be either looked at or we need to just take some time and say, maybe we're better off just being great parents. And was, was there ever a moment in that process where you thought, well, we can actually, we can come to some sort of, we can work through this or we, we might be able to, through the help of therapy or just talk therapy or, or couples therapy, be able to get through to a place to, if not stay together to at least have some sort of um, civil relationship for the benefit of the kids. 
did you feel like that was even a possibility or was it just very clear that he, he was like, no, you're not on my team. I'm out of here and I'm taking the kids and I'm taking you down. That was it. I mean, we tried therapy there for before that happened, you know, mm-hmm. before the divorce. And um, I remember he left the room one day and the therapist looked at me and said, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, you're right. Because, you know, you want to make it work. You have kids and you, you want things to be okay and you know sometimes there's just nothing you can do there are types of people or personalities or whatever in the world you just you can't imagine how someone you know can do it but they you know no i mean you can't fix someone else you can't, and, and yeah. you can't I, I know from my own experience i was in a very destructive relationship where we tried to go through therapy and i had a similar situation where she walked out of, of therapy and the therapist turned to me and said listen you can try to sit here and fix what's broken but you're never going to be able to fix it yeah. you can't do it unless both of you are participating so mm-hmm. it, was, it was clear to me that you had to move on yeah but in your your case so you gave birth to your daughter mm-hmm. and at what point did you lo- lose custody of her i never lo- i still have, cu- oh, you still have custody. i still have custody okay. but okay. it's just in monaco <laughs> okay so so you can see I your mean, kids but they can't come here to exactly you. because i, fi- oh, I filed God. in court to keep them here, and I kept them two days longer than the court order. So I did go against the court order. I was getting some advice for some from some activists and people that just scared me to death. Uh-huh. And um, so, but anyway, I, you know, I made mistakes along the way because I didn't know what in the world I was getting into. Yeah. And, you know, it was a, a big journey of discovery of, of the world and how the world works and where people's priorities are. Mm-hmm. And... My own discovery of, you know, taking responsibility for, like you're saying, the red flags and going into a relationship or, you know, what energy was I putting out to attract a certain thing into my life. And, you know, you realize that all day long you were attracting things into your yeah. life by your thoughts and your energy. Just like, you know, I think young women at a certain age, they, there's this thing, a pressure to get married and have kids and it, just grab a guy, you mm-hmm. know, like grab it. I don't think I did that. I was really, really in love um, with with my kid's dad. And um, I really thought it was the thing, you know, mm-hmm. going in. It wasn't like going in, I went, oh, no, I really made it. Was, it took like a year to, well, I was like, what's that? What's that? Oh. And then you're like, is that me? You know, you know, is that, you know, and you're trying to figure out who's who and what's mm-hmm. what because we all do that. We're all learning and growing yeah. and have our stuff. The concept of, conscious uncoupling you know Mm. doing separating healthily through your experience do you think you need two people to do that i mean because the other side wasn't willing to to work what are your thoughts on that for your situation oh i do it definitely takes two Mm. you know yeah so for you now like how would you looking back do you think that that what impact do you think that had on your kids and what they went through and Mm. I think it's happening to a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you see it. And even just how we're parenting and how the schools are teaching and how society, it's just, my thing is just a small thing and the bigger issue of what's going on in the world with our kids. You know, our kids are so far advanced and we need to be revering our children. Our school systems aren't keeping up with the technology, and our kids came, our kids keep coming in with an upgrade and an upgrade mm-hmm. and an upgrade, and the schools aren't updating the whatever, you know, um, putting in the new, I'm not technical, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Version 2.0. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, when they're young, you look at what these young people can do, and if, if you're not... You, 
It's all about respecting our children and listening to our children. Just because they're little, they're little Buddhas and they come in to teach us. And we need to stay out of their way. We need to make sure they're safe and listen. They come in knowing what they're supposed to do. They come in knowing their purpose. And what we do is we put, project all of our stuff onto them and all of our... We, <laughs> because we haven't taken the time to heal and do what we need to do. We're all kind of a little guilty, you know, of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the takeaway is that we need to look at ourselves and really revere our child, like really respect our children and their wishes. Because if the court said to them at any age, what do you want, you know, at at you know two years old they're going to say i want to be with my mama <laughs> it's common sense it's like every child does it's not and it's not a, i like her over him or him over right. her it's biological mm-hmm. and then at a certain age they're like you know what well, i love you but i kind of want to go live with that yeah and it's normal that may happen at four that may happen at 14 it may happen whenever so it's really there's no common sense in in certain things anymore. You know, I feel like you walk in and you go, just ask the kids at any age. They'll tell you. And if you just listen, they're not lying, you know. I just got to, I can't imagine how the, the, the fear and anxiety and paranoia you must experience not being able to be with your kids on a regular basis, particularly knowing the character of your ex-husband. Because obviously, anytime that two people pull apart and a relationship ends there's a there's a narrative there's each mm-hmm. person has their own narrative and it's very subjective and you mm-hmm. experience that going through the court system um i think i heard that at, at, at one point when you were you were advised to, to file for custody and that kind of was a turning point where the courts then stopped when when you weren't granted custody then the courts stopped looking at you as being uh suitable suitable for having full custody and they favored mm-hmm. ended up favoring him mm-hmm. what you know does how does that impact your relationship with your kids now and are you able to are you able to maintain a healthy relationship with your kids without being able to be with them on a regular basis? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's just, you You know, you can separate people, but you can't separate the love that they have for each other. Mm-hmm. You really can't. And I did have to make a decision because I was really, really going through a tough, tough time. I had to, you know, I moved in with a friend. I had no money. I didn't have enough money to buy a cup of coffee. And I was like, just came off of a series for five years, wow. you know. And everyone saw me as this rich lady because I played this up. <laughs> lady said so they're thinking, oh, she's rich. And I'm like, well, no, I can't even afford a cup of coffee right now. And meanwhile, you, know? you probably have to maintain and that meanwhile, appearance. Yeah, and you're like, everyone's looking. Work. And yeah, and then you're trying to keep it together because you're trying to keep it together for your kids. And you're trying to keep it together for the press because everyone's like, and you're just, and meanwhile, you're just feeling like, whoa, like, you know, and at the same time, you're realizing people have it much worse than you do. And you're thinking, how could I, where do I even have room to feel bad for myself? There are people starving. There are people, mm-hmm. there, there are children that have no clothes, have no home. So you have all these different thoughts going through your head and you don't know what to feel. You know, what am I allowed to feel? Right. What, what, <laughs> what am I even allowed to feel? My kids have clothes, they have a roof over their head, they, you know, at school, you know, they're living in like the South of France, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, how do you complain? How do you say? So it was this really strange, surreal feeling of like, am I allowed to grieve? Is it okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and yet it was, you know, probably the most traumatic thing that could happen to a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the loss of, you know, like, die, you know, children. Mm-hmm. And so um, it just took a lot of time to sort through all that in my head. And part of the blessing was and the healing was was realizing how blessed I was. So I'd get up in the morning and I'd say, well, I'm living in a friend's beautiful apartment. It wasn't her, like, maid's room, but I was happy. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. fine. 
you know, I was able to eat. I was able to figure, you know, my my parents helped, you know, were like, okay, well, and, you know, you just, you say, okay. And it wasn't that you didn't have pity parties or lose your stuff or do that in front of your kids. I'd, I'd have a total meltdown in front of my kids when I'd see them because I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know what to say or what to do. And then I'd sit there and say, I'm so sorry, mommy's just this is really hard for me too. And then we'd all cry and they'd Mm -hmm. cry. But what they saw, I think, was that it's okay to cry. And that what was going on was hurtful and it was okay. In other words, this isn't right, you know. But we got through it and my mom, you know, my son would be like, okay, mom, you know, turn on the Adele. Let's have our cry before you leave, you know. And we'd all be like, oh, you know. And my son would be like, don't look, don't look at me now. I'm I'm going to school. Don't say anything. And I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to look over here. You know, so we figured out. And we also figured out that we had each other. In other words, we, there was him Mm -hmm. and what, you know, and then there was us. And so Mm -hmm. it became like, okay, how do we survive this? How do we get through this? And. I also realized if I fell apart, which, you know, there were moments I thought, I don't know how I'm going to live through this. And, you know, but I thought, I can't do that to my kids. Mm -hmm. That's not an option, Cal. You can't do that now, you know, after all of this. And also I thought, you know, when I was growing up, and my mom, you know, went through a divorce and I, you know, went through tough times, you know, trying to support us. She was a single mom and this and that. And I saw her going through suffering, and it was so hard for me as a kid because you don't want your parents. You want to, you know, they're the person you look to to know joy and how to be joyful and how to be in the world, how to yeah. go through the world is your parents. And you, I think oftentimes as, as kids you see that and you want to fix it. Yeah, or you, you think want, it's you. You or think you it's don't. your fault or you want to fix it. And yeah. It becomes like this This just, uh, I think a lot of this, the tools, the survival tools that we as humans develop we develop through the relationship we have with our parents. Totally. We see when we see our parents celebrating together, we that resonates with us and we understand that the importance of that love and that, mm. that reaffirmation. But when we see things falling apart and we see the anger and the tension and the resentment, then we think, Oh my gosh, we have to fix this. We gotta come in and, and either we, we develop the tools to become these sort of whether whether we're really empathic and we're trying to fix things, or else we internalize it and we become very scarred. And I think that's where it's really kids you know, start taking it out it, on themselves. Yeah, is what they really do. early on. They they go in. They, that's when they start abusing themselves mm-hmm. because they see abuse. You know, it's it's not the kids doing it. They no, it's s- pattern behavior. They don't know how mind, to yeah. process it. You know, so the the main thing was okay. I remember that. I remember being a kid. And so I thought, okay, what's the best gift you can give your kids through this? And it was, I'm going to be joyful. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find somehow. You know, I started reading Abraham Hicks and a lot of these books that are really spiritual talking about, you know, taking your attention away from the problem instead of keeping your focus on the problem. Because, you know, you're talking to lawyers all day and people are talking to you about it all day. Um, And even this conversation, I mean, I haven't talked Mm -hmm. about it like this in probably a year in couple years yeah because i just shifted the conversation mm-hmm. it was like well not talking about that anymore i'm gonna attract something else yeah mm-hmm. and it really shifted the whole dynamic because the kids started doing better i started mm-hmm. doing better i was like look mommy's gonna go back to work at least part-time because i need to pay the bills and i had to pay taxes back taxes and i had to you know i did not only was i bankrupt but i still owed a lot in taxes so um, I was like, mommy needs to go to work. You're in school. You love your school. You love your friends. You know, I'm going to go back to work now, full, t- you know, focus on going back to work full time. So it was all, we did it together, you know, and we, and I said, you know, it's really, 
important for you to know that I'm happy and mm -hmm. I'm doing well. Mm -hmm. And I want the same for you. And I want you to not think about this. I want you to enjoy every day. I want you to enjoy your school. I want you to have fun. It's going to sort itself out. I'm going to be here every holiday. And we're going to get through it. And we'll FaceTime. We'll do whatever. That is such an incredibly difficult mm -hmm. perspective to take, but so powerful. Someone recently told me that no problem was ever fixed by worrying about it. It isn't. And you get stuck in that rut. You get stuck in that rut of thinking and you just sort of repeat it and repeat it and repeat mm -hmm. it. It's very easy just to get there and not see. I mean, the, the fact that you've had the ability to have perspective and realize that as awful as your situation is, and, and I don't think it's, it's it, there's value in saying, well, you know, there's so many other people that have it worse than I do. Mm -hmm. But if there's also, it's really important to recognize just how painful and how difficult the process is that you're sure. going through. But I, I'm just totally amazed that you've been able to find in this so many incredible lessons I don't want to say silver linings but mm -hmm. but that you're able to 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 take this experience and grow from it and understand how to be a better parent despite the circumstances That's well really I wish I had known this before I would have not focused on it at all mm -hmm. which is the opposite it's like when you're driving and your car goes one way you're supposed to f put the steering wheel the the opposite <laughs> direction you would think you're supposed to right, right? counter steer well, it's the same way in life it's mm -hmm. like sometimes when it's like oh my god there's this big looming problem if you just go you know, I'm going to go for a coffee and go walk in the park, and this is going to sort itself out. Because, and you think that's irresponsible, or how could you do that? These, are, but ha probably, had I done that even sooner, I would have shifted sooner. Because now, things have shifted. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, things are good, and you know, they're good. Pop probably based on the fact that I just said, "Okay, I'm done. I'm not mm -hmm. focusing on yeah. this anymore." You let go intentionally. You let go. We'll get back to the chat after a quick break. I'm incredibly fortunate to have an amazing staff who helps me run my functional medicine practice where we see patients around the world. But I know how hard it can be to find and hire qualified candidates and more than anything, how much time it can take. ZipRecruiter makes the hiring process simple, fast, and smart. You can check it out at ZipRecruiter.com slash Goopfellas. That's Goopfellas, G-O-O-P-F-E-L-L-A-S. You know, when I was hiring for my restaurants, creating a team and finding the right applicants was probably the most difficult part of the process. Uh, really, the greatest capital that we had at the restaurant was human capital. But what ZipRecruiter does, here's how it works. They send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They've got a powerful matching algorithm, which means that they can scan thousands of resumes to find people with the experience that align best with the role that you've posted. Then they send them to an invite to apply. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you can connect with the most compelling people first. ZipRecruiter's claim to fame is that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter land a quality candidate through the site within the first day. That is pretty wild. And it's why ZipRecruiter's tagline is the smartest way to hire. So you can test out ZipRecruiter for free yourself at ZipRecruiter.com slash Goopfellas. That's G-O-O. P-F-E-L-L-A-S. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Goopfellas. All right, time for us to get back to Kelly. You brought such a, what, it, what I'm hearing is you brought grace and, and gratitude and joy in the midst of some dark time. You mentioned Abraham Hicks. What were some action steps that you did to start cultivating that lightness in your life? We focus on the joy all day long, and it's a practice. Just like it's, it's a learned behavior to worry, guilt, worry, all these things are learned. We don't come in with that. So 
we can learn to focus on the joy, focus on the things we want, focus on the things that bring us pleasure, make lists, be you know, focus on appreciation. What if you said to the person you're marrying, I'm only going to appreciate you? That's it. Wow. That's it. I'm only going to look for the things that I really love about you all day long. And you did that with your children. I tell my children all the time, how can I be a better mom for you? What can I do? You know, am I doing okay? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I know what I'm doing. I know what I saw my mother do. I mean, I've worked on myself. A li- you know, I'm constantly, you know, I'm, I'm open to kind of... And it's a different perspective. And, and to say, all these things are learned, all this worry, you know, and we turn on the news and we take in more stuff and we do, we read the... You know, it's like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to focus on fun stuff. And I don't care if it's kind of frivolous fun stuff or, you know, interesting fun stuff. A museum, if it's, it doesn't, you, because you attract what, your energy is what you just attract nowadays. So if you're in a state of joy or some version of that or pleasure or, or appreciation or gratitude, things shift magic starts happening and you mm-hmm. don't have to do anything we think we have to work so hard at it and focus on it and fix it and the truth is if we just take our attention away from it either an idea comes to us that we needed to come to you know that wouldn't have had we been so focused on the negativity and the problem it's like you leave room for the information to come in to allow the answers to come versus making things happen forcing things to happen yeah, that whole idea of trying to just push it and push it and only focusing on the negative and getting into this this attack mode, which initially, you know, inevitably is going to lead your 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 partner to become an adversary and they're going to get into defense mode and then mm-hmm. it escalates and one thing and suddenly you're in a fight about something you have no idea what you started the fighting about in right. the first place. Um, I I'm just I, so I want to understand now like the the state of the relationship with your kids now. They're so you don't. You have joint custody, mm-hmm. but they live in they live in France. Mm-hmm. But they do spend time with you here in New York. No. So why that doesn't make any sense to me? That if you have joint custody, shared mm-hmm. custody, is it according to the courts fifty fifty custody or what is? How well, is it I go there during all the holidays, so okay. that's what it is, and um, and we make joint decisions supposedly about mm-hmm. <laughs> medical <laughs> and school and whatever. Um, so yeah, but you know. If I think about, I mean, they're in school all day anyway, and they have after-school activities. They're busy. It's almost like okay, as if your kids went to boarding school. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I've put it in perspective now. And you know, my lawyer in Monaco, you know, who's so lovely, said to me, Kelly, your kids are going to win this ultimately. And he was right. He stopped spending all your money. I would go, you know, do guest spots, and I would spend that money in court. And I, so everything became about like everything I was making, no matter what was going. He was just stop. Just, you know, they're going to decide at a certain age, and they'll deal with their dad. So now I really, like, my kids have really just started handling everything. Mm-hmm. I barely talk to their dad. The kids are like, Mom, are you coming? What day are you coming? Okay, well, this is it. And then, okay, and just email dad. Okay. And so they've actually stepped up, and they're handling stuff. Now, you know, my son now is saying he wants to come home, and his dad's not letting him come home. So there's friction. You know, he's 12, 13, 14. You know, imagine at 15 and 16 how this is going to be, you know. And not because I'm telling him he should come home, but because it's just normal. Like, you know, the thing is, it's energy. That's all it is. And mm-hmm. if people realized it, it's going to come back, it's going to come back. 
you think, you know, there's no upside to it if you're if you take that approach. People need to be free. They need to be where they want to be, and that's in a relationship with your children, with your your partner in life, with everyone in business. Don't force anything. Don't force a relationship to happen. Don't force, you know, if that person's going to leave, they're going to leave. If they're going to stay, they're going to stay. And there's nothing, you know, and do you want them to stay if they don't want to stay? No, because there are a lot of people. How many people are there on the planet? Mm-hmm. You know, so you want to change, shift your energy to align with what it is you want to feel. And, you know, now I want my kids to feel liberated and free to be who they want to be and where they want to be when they want to be there. Because my son said, well, Mom, if I come live with you, does that mean I'm not going to see Dad? I said, no. If you came and live with me for two months and we're like, Mom, this is not, I'm not into it. I'm going back. I said, I'd be great. Go, go. There's no, there's never been an issue. You know, when I talk to my kids on the phone and they want privacy, my son at four wanted a phone because he wanted freedom to be able to call his dad or call me whenever he wants. I said, yeah, let's go get you a phone. You know, most parents would be like, you're absolutely... But he just used it for... But it gave him freedom. Or when they say, I want a credit card. I used to go get them little gift cards at all their favorite stores. And I'd say, here's your, here's your credit cards. Here's the amount on the back. And just that's how much you have. So each time you got to subtract from it. You know, give them a lesson. Not like, no, you can't have that until you're 18. Or no, you can't do this. I never say no. I always say, well, that's interesting. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. How do we make that possible that's good for you? And yet is, you know, I mean, age appropriate and all that. Right. And even now I said to my son, look, tell your dad what you want. Say, this is what I want. I, I can't tell you what you want. Do you think that some of your ability to do that, though, comes from having a certain amount of distance and not being involved on a day-to-day basis with the kids? So well, this is when this... I was dated oh, okay. with those things were, but yeah. Okay, yeah. But yeah. Because I'm just wondering with the, the dynamic of the relationship with your kids, it's in some ways you have the... I don't want to say the advantage, but when your kids are yes. with you, I'm sure that it's just like it's such an important time for them because they don't get to see you that often. Yeah. And that's kind of – that has to – I'm sort of the dad. You're the dad in the situation. <laughs> yeah, you're like – He's the, the you're mom the fun, and I'm the dad. You're the fun one. Exactly. And, and, and he's the disciplinarian boss. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's a bit of a role reversal. But I, I think – I mean, I would imagine you can actually take that and, and become very empowered by that and, and it allows you to be – a, a very present parent in many yes, ways. Yes, it does. But I'm very open-minded anyway. I think, you know, I, I just, I, you know, my view on raising kids is very different than most people. I just, I find them to be, I always say I want to be like them when I grow up. <laughs> you know, that's me. I'm like, you guys are amazing. How do I do? My daughter is nine. She can do a PowerPoint presentation. I'm like, oh, my God. I, I can't even, I don't know how to write a business letter. I mean, would you help me do this? So it's really, how do you empower your kids? You know, we think, you know, our egos get in the way and we're adults and we think we know stuff, but we really don't. We've learned a lot of stuff. Along, yeah. We've learned how to be adults. I always yeah. say I go to dinner with my friends and I have to be an adult. Yeah. I have to play being an adult. Because... We've also learned a lot of bad stuff, too. We've learned <laughs> That's a what lot I mean. of bad behavior, bad yeah. pattern behavior. The kids just are, they're, in their innocence, there's, there's, there's a lot of wisdom. Yeah, so much wisdom, you know. And each parent has the perfect child for them mm-hmm. to teach them all these wonderful. I think of it as they're teaching me all these lessons. Yeah, you know, deep wisdom in those little kids. Oh my God, they're they're brilliant. You know, there's they just read about a kid that's like seven that's recycled over three hundred thousand bottles, and he started a business. You know, those wow. are smart parents. This kid wanted to do something at a young age, and those parents said, "Okay, we'll be there to keep you safe and guide you through it." And 
make sure you're okay. And there was another girl graduated from high school at 18, put on a backpack, was traveling around, went to Nepal, saw that these young girls were carting water all day long, 12 hours a day to get a meal. And she said, this is crazy. So she called her parents and said, send me my $5,000 savings. I can buy some land here in Nepal, and I'm going to build a school. She now has a school that, like, I don't know, 800 kids go to. Wow. They all get clothes, um, a hot meal each day, and they get free me- medical care. Wow. And, you know, this is a girl that just was backpacking. She had nothing. She just went, oh, my God. So young people, you look at these young people suing the government for not doing things for the environment Mm -hmm. that they should be doing. And, you know, it's incredible. Or even gun control, these young people that were just like, enough. They they know. They have common sense. They Mm -hmm. know what the thing is. So the more we can kind of put our egos aside and our control stuff aside. <laughs> yeah. Look, you know. Looking back over the last 10 years, what would you tell somebody going through a divorce or a custody battle like on the other side, learning what you've learned? What would you tell them? Mm-hmm. I would say just focus on making sure your kids know they're loved beyond everything. And not to badmouth the other parent. It's going to happen. You're going to have meltdowns. You're going to have, you're going to lose your whatever. But, you know, apologize. Say, I'm sorry I lost it. It's, you know, I'm supposed to be the adult here, but sometimes I, I, I feel stuff too, and I, it's really hard for me. And I think sometimes when you share that with your children, it allows them to grieve. It allows them to feel without, you know, and without putting it on them. You know, just say, look, this is your, this has nothing to do with you. This is me and your dad, and I'm so sorry this is happening. It's not what I would necessarily, it's not what I would choose to happen. Um, and really be kind to them because, you know, it, it sometimes, and we're all guilty of it, you lose sense of even that they're, that the kids are kids, you know, that you're just so caught up in the lawyers and the this and the, that you're just drained. It's distracting. So it really, again, is about focus. Okay. What is the focus here? And think of sort of the long term, you know, beyond this moment of where is this leading? Where is this taking us ultimately? Because that's kind of where I am now with this is what was the, what was the win here? Right. It was about winning, right? And what do you win? What did you win? You know, you're not winning the respect of your children ultimately as they get older. You're not winning the love of your ex-wife who would have been your greatest fan and supporter because I would have um, and you're you certainly spent a lot of money <laughs> that could have gone to the kids and so you have to look at the the big picture and that the kids always know what's going on we think they don't and they know everything they know everything I heard them talking to their when they were little little I heard them talking to their friends oh my parents are cool and I thought they've never spoken like that in front of me they got we're oh yeah my parents are going through it like a bad divorce they know everything so you think they don't they're quiet you're on the phone with your lawyer you think they're over there playing with their toys and they're absorbing they're absorbing all of your energy so you want to keep your energy you want to work on yourself is what you want to do you want to go get some abraham hicks or listen to some (laughs) dalai lama or something because that's the last thing we think to do is work on ourselves and that's that's the best thing we can do for our kids is say i don't know everything but I'm working on myself. I'm, you know, yeah. making an effort. Kelly, thank you so much. This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow. That was 
that, as I said, you know, at the top of this, that was, uh, that was something that I cannot relate to at all because I've never, one, I'm not a mother. Uh, two, I can't imagine being a mother and, you know, losing that really important connection to my kids. Mm-hmm. It just felt like, I don't it, it felt like a Kafka novel. Like there were mm-hmm. these, these mechanisms of, of society that were bigger than, than the most important element, which is that nuclear family and the mother child connection. And yet somehow in all of that, I mean, Kelly managed to find beauty and solace and peace. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you're faced with that level of turmoil and pain, uh, her lesson and what I heard through her conversation was this act of sort of radical non-resistance in the face of of what you think you should be resisting mm-hmm. and her lessons through that. We can all apply that principle, that sort of deep spiritual life principle of of allowing that grace to go through in the midst of the biggest darkness in your life i mean well you know the thing is that like what she what she pointed out which which is really amazing is that she you know she initially went out like fighting it and which i think anyone would do but that only made it worse it just Mm -hmm. kind of like it's like picking a scab and eventually like you're you you know you think you're clearing it away at first and then and then you're creating a whole new injury underneath it a whole new wound and to for her now to have the the peace of mind and the or the presence of mind to look back with a state of mindfulness and say, okay, this is, uh, I need to just go with this and adapt. Yeah. And that sometimes is, you know, life is this river and you kind of have to decide if you're going to fight it or if you're going to embrace it and adapt. And yeah, she and then, really has done that beautifully. Completely. And now to see her relationship with her kids now as they're growing and getting older really is great that even you, you can go through that, that, tough time, that difficult time, that this is never going to end time to now be on the other side of it and have a relationship with your kids. Like her, her son even called her during our interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, there's, she's still very much in her, in her kids' lives. And I talked to her recently and she was going to visit them. So, I mean, it's really a, a beautiful transformation in her own life. And hopefully this is families around the world can hear this conversation that there is hope even if it seems like wow this really sucks right now things are never going to be normal again my family's broken it's not the end it's really not the end because for Kelly it's not the end I've seen in many people there will be a time where things can come back to a new normal you know, in, in the world that we're living in right now, there are more displaced families and refugees than ever before in human history. Her story, which is very much a story of, you know, in many ways, privilege, but mm. the, regardless of being a, a place of privilege, that idea of having your children torn away from you is something that there are literally millions and millions of families that are experiencing this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a good, I think it's a, a really important reminder for those of us who don't, you know, we're fortunate enough to not have to go through those sorts of things to understand how complex the world is that we live in right now. Definitely. So for everybody that wants to keep in contact with what Kelly's doing, and she posts really beautiful, inspirational things on her Instagram and other social media handles, so check her out all over social media. At Kelly Rutherford. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. 
So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, guys, it's time for Ask Me Anything. Uh, Dave asks, as someone with RA, Seamus had RA, do you avoid gluten or can you have it in small amounts? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think it really depends on the individual. I would say stick away from it, stay away from it. And certainly for me, as I was getting healthy, getting off gluten was a, was really important for me to do. Um, now, every once in a while, if there's a really, really good piece of bread, uh, you know, I might try it. Generally speaking, I feel fine. The few times that I have gone, gone all in in the past eight years and had like a couple slices of pizza, I have not felt good. Yeah. So um, I, I do try to stick away from it. It's not the sort of thing where I have like an allergic reaction. Right. The, the, I think as from a functional medicine standpoint, uh, there is a spectrum. Actually, it's my name of my book, The Inflammation Spectrum, <laughs> uh, plug there, but it's a, a continuum. Uh, you can have low-grade, non-celiac uh, non gluten sensitivity, mild like digestive or inflammatory issues, all the way to autoimmune issues like celiac, RA, etc. The adage that we say for many of our autoimmune patients is being uh, mostly gluten-free is like being mostly pregnant. <laughs> or a little bit, having a little bit of gluten is like, like being a little bit pregnant. It's, it can take months for the reactivity for people with autoimmunity, some people with autoimmunity to have. So you have to take it out for a while, see how you feel, yeah. bring it back in, see, see how you feel. And also run inflammatory labs like CRP, homocysteine, see where your labs go too after you reintroduce some of these things. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.